Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Carlos, man, uh, I really appreciate you sitting down with me today. This is the What's in My Head podcast, and I'm sitting here talking to fucking Rocco from yeah. Rock Modern Life, man. It's so weird. I'm no more reminded that I'm Rocco at this time of the year with Cameo because mm. there's a lot of requests. It used to be. Uh, last year, like maybe last summer, I was in Tampa at, at a con, and I have a guy named Jeff Zanini, who's Celebrity Bookings. He's got a bunch of people, Billy West, Jess Harnell. Um, I miss the cons because you are reminded of your fans there. You know, voiceover fans are, are sort of rabid. They're, they're nerdier. They're, they're, they're less overt, except when you go to a con, they know you work. So right around this time of year when the cons haven't been taking place, there's been a lot of people that are doing virtual signings, but Cameo comes up and I get a lot of Rocco requests like, oh, my dad grew up with Rocco or I love Rocco. I'm trying to show my own kids, my nine-year-old and my soon-to-be seven-year-old Rocco and they're me. They're into their own yeah. thing. They, they do know dad's Rocco. And they think it's cool when somebody recognizes me in public, they'll, they'll be proud, but they don't watch it yet. I haven't been able to get them into that 90s vibe, you know? It's, it's yeah, funny. Rocco. Whenever you have kids, you try to inundate them with the stuff that you grew up with or the stuff. And, and it's crazy because you do voices. And I don't want to sit here and sound like it's just you just do voices because you are all over the place. Like I was just talking to you about, I mean, from Rocco. James Garcia from Reno 911. You were the fucking Taco Bell dog, which I yeah. did not know for the longest time. I mean, yeah, that's that's a, one of another one of those iconoclastic jobs that I had, and we revisit that every once in a while. We'll, we'll I'll do a podcast or an interview, and I go, yeah, that was a pretty big deal at one point to say yo quiero Taco Bell, viva gorditas, and it was all over the place, and there was merchandise, and I would I literally would walk into a Taco Bell and behind be behind somebody and they'd go, oh, I want two of those dolls. I want the uh, the Yokero one and then the Valentine's one where he goes, Rawr, and I'm like right behind him. They have no idea, you know? Um, so yeah, that was pretty, that was a surreal time in the, in the 97 through 2000 where that thing was just everywhere. And it was a different time, you know? It was a different way of advertising and Clara Peller was doing, where's the beef? And so you had these really big spots simultaneously and you really don't see those, you know, campaigns that, you know, now you think of the AT&T girl or the Veri- uh, Verizon girl or whatever. State Farm, um, Nate from State Farm. Yeah, Nate from State Farm. Yeah, it's a little bit different. You know, Carlos uh, Oscar had a nice thing going with Chris Paul and James Harden for a while as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Viva Gorditas, whole different time. I mean, it, it, I guess it's just crazy, like, like. I want to get back into to how you really got bit by this, this, um, this, I don't want to say pop culture, but it, it's like this Hollywood bug. What was the first indication that you're like, holy shit, man, I make people laugh. I do voices or I do impersonations. Um, what, do you remember that what that first spark was, or was it just you trying to get laughs in school or how'd that come about? I think I always trace it back to my parents being from uh, South America. My dad was British educated and 
no accent, but we grew up watching the two Ronnies, Monty Python, Ripping Yarns, um, all that kind of stuff. So those influences, Carol Burnett, Bob Newhart, all that stuff. But I was a jock. I played sports and did all that. And then my best friend's parents, when I grew up, were from uh, Glasgow, Scotland. So I would hear Carlitos, no me digas. You know, do you always want fideos con manteca? So I'm hearing those vowel sounds in Spanish. And then I go up to Kevin's house and I hear John and Mary talking to Kevin like this. You know, you, got, you guys going to go outside? That's ludicrous. It's way too cold, Kevin. So here I am just like hearing all these dialects and stuff. And so I think people thought it was cool that I could imitate Kevin's parents or my mom or something. So maybe as a little kid, five or six. And But the acting bug doesn't come until college because I wanted to play sports and, you know, sports and drama in the 70s were disparate disciplines. You know, you're not going to be in the drama, are you? And how much do you bench? So I was into the how much you bench side. And then college rolls along and I have a professor that's like, hey, you're pretty funny. Why don't you try a comedy thing and do some mime? All right. So the physical ability I have from being an athlete really lent itself to being a mime. And then I was always goofing and doing impressions so that my first foray into stand-up was a lot of impressions. You know, this, the Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day and uh, Mutual of Omaha's and Kermit the Frog here. Hi-ho, hey. And it was all, it was really hacky stuff, but it's what launched me in and gave me the guts to do it. And, uh, and then I was always leaning more towards sketch. And then I got, I met this guy, Mark Fraser from Alabama. He was living with two Iranian guys from Alabama and they smoked a ton of pot, and I was super clean back then. Still am, basically, except for whiskey. Um, and we got in a comedy deal, and we wrote some fun stuff, and we performed at this place called the Metro Bar and Grill, where a young comedian, uh, Brian Posehn, got oh, his start sure. about a year and a half after we started. Yeah. And uh, it's no longer there. It was an underground club. Above it was a place called Club Cantel, and I had just seen the movie Stranger Than Paradise, I think my first Jim Jarmusch film. And it was like, don't bug me. I love Screaming Jay Hawkins. He's the best. <laughs> and Screaming Jay Hawkins happened to be playing in that face, that place, Club Cantel, above the Metro Bar and Grill, old movie theater that was hollowed out. Went to see Screaming Jay Hawkins perform. And so college was where it really just started to spin into creative uh, endeavors. And then I moved to San Francisco in 87 and said, let me work on it, at health clubs during the day, racquetball, all that stuff, handing out towels. And I'll do stand up at night. But it was really born, I think, being a kid with mm. parents who were different from yeah. this white suburban upbringing that I that I grew up with. And then I think Kevin and I had a bond because my mom would go, Carlos, you have to come home from school early. <laughs> and then, like I said, be Kevin, what are you doing at our school? You got to get homework to do, Kevin. And we would both get your parents speak funny. And I, we'd be like, well, I can understand them. And I can understand your parents. So we were kind of like-minded in that we had parents that were from out of country, you know? So, and then I watched a ton of TV and a ton of cartoons and Don Messick and all these guys that that's an early influence, you know, three stooges, all that stuff, typical suburban kids in the seventies watching all that stuff and soaking it up. Yeah. Now you, <clears throat> excuse me. Now you brought up San Francisco and, and my favorite actor of all time, Robin Williams. I mean, what yeah. he could do, was just fantastic and I'm, I'm just so sad that he's not here anymore but he was a real big fixture in bringing comedy to san francisco and he would they would do these these annual events where he'd come out and do all this stuff um did you ever get to share a stage with him open oh absolutely like that? lots of stories with robin you know comedy day in the park uh, i would see him perform he was at the holy city zoo i came in 87 you know by that time he was always 
already mostly in LA, but lived in Mill Valley as well. So he'd hang out at the Green Apple Bookstore in Fifth and Clement. And, uh, and then go over to the Holy City Zoo because Rebecca was there. And later on, Rebecca and uh, um, John, Dan, Dan Spencer, they, they got married and became Robin's assistants. And I would see Robin at Comedy Day in the Park with Michael Pritchard. He was a buddy and sort of loosely meet him. And then one day I'm in Cobb's Comedy Club, the second one that was down by the wharf. And uh, I'm watching, I think Dana Gould on stage. And I hear this guy behind me going, hey, my daughter loves Rocco. And I look back and I was like, holy crap, it's Robin Williams. And at that time Zelda was a younger kid and, and she loved Rocco and I was flattered and met him a couple of times at the other cafe. And then 2006 rolls around and we do uh, Happy Feet. Mm-hmm. And we had a San Francisco connection through Tom Kenny. Tom's also a very good friend. Um, so we got together with Lombardo Bayard, Jeff Garcia, my friend, um, and Johnny Sanchez and Robin just treated us like we were one of the comics and one of the yeah. actors. And so did George Miller, you know, and he was just a great guy. And I remember I got a ride home from Lucas ranch. We were going to record some music there. And it was at the time where, um, John Kerry was running for president and we were talking politics and I, and I live, Robin lived in Oceanside. Uh, in Seacliff, actually. And I lived on 14th and Lake in San Francisco. So I was right there. And I, I said, can I get a ride home from you? I did, because I'm going to go home. I, I took the shuttle bus here from Oakland. He's like, yeah, man, ride back with me. And we talked politics the whole way home. And he dropped me off at my house. And then a few, uh, we just kept hitting, hitting it off. And then we went to Australia and he was there with George Miller as well. They, they brought the whole cast to Australia because they saved money that way on taxes. 17 nights, we land, we get there, we're all jet lagged, we're walking around Sydney Wharf by the Opera House, which is where we stayed, and here's Robin, no no entourage, no nothing, walking by himself, and we're like, are you Robin Williams? He's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck you guys, holy shit, you scared me, I thought, hey, let's go out to lunch, and he took us all out to lunch, and I was like, yes, and then we had this wonderful 17 days, and we were doing stand-up every night, and me and Johnny, uh, uh, Jeff Garcia, and we were going to go to this place called the Sugar Mill. Gary Eck is a writer. He created, he wrote uh, the uh, script uh, along with other writers for Happy Feet 2. And he said, yeah, I'm doing a show. You guys come out. And uh, Elijah Wood came. And Robin, we were going out every night. And this one night, Robin goes, hey, man, do you mind if I tag along with you? And we're like, uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. So he came. He came with Elijah. We all walked into this little teeny Sugar Mill club in Sydney, Australia. And it's just like a regular night, you know, we're hanging around and this comics. And then all of a sudden you see all the cell phones just like, holy God, you never believe he's here. It's Elijah Wood and Robin Williams. And Jeff kept teasing him from the stage. And eventually Robin went up. We, I performed in front of him. We had a magical night, you know, something that we'll never forget. And then afterwards, he got to know all of us better, but particularly myself, I, I got to know him a little bit better. And he was like, you know, let Rebecca know when you're coming to the Bay Area and I'll come out and see you. And so I went and placed, performed at this place in Novato, uh, a Mexican bar and grill. And he came by with a couple of friends of mine that were writing for him. And, and I brought him on stage and he did a set. And the last time I saw him one-on-one was at Mill Valley at the Throckmorton Theater. I was watching Arge Barker, a really funny comedian, from the alcove. You climb up this ladder and this little alcove has space for like two people. Yeah. And I'm watching Arge and I'm really into it. And I turn around and he goes, hey boss. I'm like, holy shit, it's me and Robin Williams in this little curtained off alcove just together with a guy performing down there. And I was, he was doing the crazies on CBS. And I asked him about it and I was too nervous to be one-on-one with him. And I'm like, hey, let's go downstairs and talk to everybody else outside. I didn't want to <laughs> hog him. 
Yeah. You know, and I was remiss because uh, later on in, in that year, I went out to do a movie called Strange Nature in uh, Cedar Rapids, Minnesota. And uh, yes, yeah, Cedar Rapids, Minnesota, which is where uh, Francis Ethel Gum, a.k.a. Judy Garland is from, where their sisters used to perform there because mm-hmm. the museum was right there. But uh, we got the news that he had passed away and it was like, oh, man, I remember now so vividly that last one on one conversation that lasted maybe three minutes because I was so nervous. Yeah. And, I, and then when we went to the memorial, you know, Rebecca said this thing that he called two people, either two things, either chief or boss. If you kind of a casual acquaintance and he didn't remember your name, he'd go, oh, hey, chief, how's it going? But he called you boss. He liked you. And I was like, he called me boss. It's like, oh man, that was so kind of special. I always, but just, I always relate to people that both he and George Miller were human beings first. Yeah. These international freaking famous stars, right? George Miller, Mad Max, blah, 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 Babe, Pig in the City, da, 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 Robin Williams, everything you can think of. But both were just, hey, God, you know, especially that crew was like, let's all hang out. Hey, we bring your girls, your wives, your girlfriends. We're all family here. There was no tears with either of those people. You yeah. wanted to talk to them, you just talked to them. Robin was just like that. You know, you want to talk? Let's talk. There was no like, who are you? Why? No, you can't. Same with George Miller. Like, if you're part of the crew, you're part of the crew. And so along with Robin and those, that sort of special trip was, was everything about uh, Robin and George on that entire Happy Feet experience was... It'll, obviously it'll never happen again and, and it wouldn't anyways it was yeah. just a magic bubble that for 17 days we're like and elijah wood was the same way just hanging out hank's area <laughs> it's like wow i i'm you know sun-kissed sun-kissed but robin was amazing just super human super funny loved to make people laugh and uh you know at, at the end there he he was more willing to talk and just be himself yeah obviously i mean uh, i i I always like when I talk to a lot of the guests, a lot of the guests, um, at least at first until they find out that I'm not, you know, trying to sit here and sandbag them or get anything that's clickbait. It's just generally me saying, you know, thank you for making, you know, my childhood, even Mm -hmm. my adulthood. I mean, um, we talked earlier, I was a Navy guy and I would deploy all the time. And there was only a few things that I would bring with me other than, you know, my clothes. I'd have a couple pictures of my wife and my son. Um, But I always brought, DVDs of TV shows, cartoons, movies, whatever I had with me, just something to feel, you know, because when you're out there, you're, you're either working anywhere from 12 to 16 to 18 hour days when you're deployed and you're generally gone anywhere from six, nine months to 12 months. Um, you know, and I missed everything, right. I missed first walk, first words, first everything really. And it, and it's, I'm not trying to pull any sympathy strings or anything like that here. But, but I want people to really understand that, you know, when you have literally, you know, your, your entire, your fan base, right? So you, your, your wife, your kids, you know, your mom, your dad, whoever supporting you back home, um, you know, it, it gets tough. And then you guys have given us so much with cartoons and movies and TV shows where yeah. you guys are, are just doing what you do, making us laugh, making us forget about shitty times. And, and, and when you really sit here and I listen to that story about Robin, it's like he did the same thing that you do. And it feels like he rubbed off a lot on how to treat people or just talk to people. That, that people everybody's normal, right? Everybody's a person. Everybody yep. puts their leg, you know, their pants on one leg at a time. Everybody shits. Mm-hmm. Everybody does the same thing. Everybody's people. Um, and you tend to forget that when you talk to people. 
Um, and I, I, I got to imagine that Robin was really, really big as far as, you know, hanging out and, and talking as far as just the persona, the person that 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 man, Robin, big, bigger than life. Um, was that the only time that you've ever really been starstruck when it comes to people? I mean, or for, when it comes to, uh, you know, actors, actresses, comedians, that type of stuff? Uh, let me see. First of all, thank you for your service. Thank you. We, uh, we got a chance to go to Walter Reed. My friend Kenny Milo set up a trip with the Reno people and just seeing those soldiers in hospitals going, I got to get back. You know, mm -hmm. I can't wait to get back, you know. Um, and Robin, by the way, was really big at visiting the troops and doing Very all the USO US stuff as well. And that was one of those things that we, people might be politically disparate or whatever, but Robin didn't care. He's just like, yeah. like you said, you're a human being. I'm coming to visit you. I value what you do. You, I, I love what you guys are doing and I just want to give myself to you. And so that's an important lesson that, that he gave a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and aside from Robin, I'm trying to think if there were, I mean, there was once when I was the Taco Bell Chihuahua, we got to work on a cartoon with Adam West and he's like, well, I yes, we'll be having tacos for lunch. And it was like, he knew that I was the Taco Bell guy. I was like, Batman. It wasn't a connection like there was with Robin. You know, I'm trying to think other than that, where there's nobody that nah, nothing has come close to being with George Miller and, and Elijah and Hank and, and Robin in that setting, because we were away from home. We were all in the same hotel and Robin rented a yacht for us to go out on and have a party. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, it wasn't two, three tiers of a yacht. Everybody just intermixed with each other. Yeah. George would come down. You could talk to George Miller. I'm going to go talk to George. I'm going to go talk to Robin Williams. So, I can't think of any athlete or anybody since then where I've just been, wow, I'm lucky. You know, I got to be on Reno with Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, I never got to act with Jordan Peele. I'm remiss about that. Maybe one day. But um, no, nobody of that stature, either Hollywood or political or athlete-wise that, that I can think of that I've really interacted or had a, had a conversation with, you know. Um, I go to cons and, and get to meet people there. Like for me, I'm a huge, uh, and I met her on the set of Reno, uh, Sean Young fan. Cause I love, love, love Blade Runner, just a Blade Runner geek. So getting to meet her on Reno and have her sign my book called future noir, which was the making of, uh, Blade Runner and then seeing her at cons and, you know, she's out there. Sean's out there for sure. She's got some opinions, but just sitting <laughs> down with her and going, you know, you're part of something that I really, really value and love. And here's where I get the value of what you're saying where you take things with you and they mean a lot to you. Because as, as, as a voiceover actor, sometimes we get like, you were my childhood and um, I'm just so nervous. And you're like, why are you nervous? I'm a person or why, why is this so important to you? And the only video game I know how to play first person shooter is Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. Left 4 Dead 1, France, uh, I think it's name is France, uh, no. Vince Valenzuela from Seattle, a comedian plays Francis. Hey, I think I'm hurt here. I'm gonna need some help. I'm like, Vince, you're, you're, fucking, I'm, you're Francis. But then I'm talking to D. Bradley Baker and Fred Tattashore, who I've known for years. And I've done stuff with them. No problem. They're my friends. And I said, I can't play any videos. I just play Left 4 Dead 2. And, and Fred goes, I'm the spitter. And D goes, yeah. No, Fred goes, I'm Boomer. And D goes, I'm like, oh, no way. Oh, my God, oh my God. And I fanboyed out. I, I, I totally fanboyed out because I spent hours with this game and i went now i get it yeah 
Now I get why people love Spyro the Dragon. It was their first uh, PlayStation game for Sony. And like you're Spyro, so I get, I get it. You spend so many hours with something that means something to you and to meet a voice behind it, it's a big deal. It's a yeah. big deal. You don't have to be the biggest celebrity in the world. It's like, I know that game. I have seen you. I hate Boomer. He throws up on you and then the hordes come. I hate you, Fred. Of course that's you. Of course that's you, D, because it's, yeah, yeah, I And I go, of course that's D Baker. Oh my God. So yeah, I, I get it. And it, it's pretty cool that, um, that uh, we, something that can be that indelible to us, you know, but I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I don't know that, like I said, I don't know that it'll ever get, I can't imagine anybody that I, I'm sure there's people I'd be thrilled to work with, but it was just the, the time. I think, I think based upon what's going on in the world, so to speak, I feel like we lost, it almost feels like that time was like the sixties compared to the two thousands There's some innocence lost because of the social media and the way we treat each other and the way we've become so disparate. It yeah. wasn't there yet. It was the Bush years, but it wasn't quite. So I don't know if we can ever get back to that. And hopefully we can, but that was just a special pocket of time that, you know, it's like your old baseball glove. I'll have another baseball glove, but I'll never have that one that I had under my mattress, you know? <laughs> so we'll see. It, it, it is funny. Cause this, this, I don't want to say this country because it really feels like the world when you turn the world. on the news. It's the world. It's everybody is just so divided. And, and like you said earlier, we're all people. At the end of the day, we all do the same fucking things. We need to eat. Yeah. We need to sleep. We need love. We need attention. We need all of this shit. And yeah. and I actually had this talk because the people I was catering with, um, we just did a little party. And I was actually talking to them about stuff that was was going on you know so like the internet was what one person was saying was the biggest issue um but it really just comes down to accountability more than the internet or it comes to accountability more than this person said this this person said that and you know at the end of the day man i really hope we can get back to and i hate this term but some sense of normalcy um because yeah. it, 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 at the end of the day it's like i've never and nobody really has nobody's ever been in a time like this where we're talking through a zoom call you know and i never thought mm -hmm. that was possible for one like i said i can just go off of your fucking resume and just like mm -hmm. you did at least 90 percent of the voices on almost every show i've listened to and i'm like it is just insane to the level of, of of hate i guess is what's going on around now but yeah hopefully through shit like this where we can sit back and talk and actually have a conversation by yelling or sticking points or click this yeah. click that to say here to say here hopefully It'll go back to normal. I don't know if it will. What do you think, though, man? You think we have the tendency to to stick in this pendulum, or are we going to go back to just being cool people? I, I we have a whiskey group, right? We have very disparate people. A couple of Scientologists. Um, That's interesting, right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm agnostic. My friend's Catholic, so we have our our views. But I know I lost. I had an acquaintance that, for me, he's gone off the deep end and and, and starting to involve involve himself in things that I don't believe are true. And I just like, I, there's nothing there. There's nothing there until that gets cured. I myself work on myself through therapy and try to do exercise patience and responding rather than reacting. That's really hard to do. I, I can get judgmental on Twitter. I'll fight the far left. I'll fight this and like, yeah. Um, I, unfortunately, I think it will take uh, an attack on our soil 
you know. But even 9-11. even 9-11 didn't last that long where we were united, right? Yeah. Maybe a week. And then, then it's back to the normal. Then it's back to cutting people off, leaving shopping carts. Boy, it's hard because we have children. We have children. And so I hold out hope, but I think we have to pull off. I know that I'm healthier when I pull off social media because most of my fighting is done on Twitter, right? And I'm like, if you really think about it, it's a waste of time. Yeah. It's a waste of time other than let me advertise something or say something that's maybe unifying like hey everybody have a great uh, veterans day uh, thank you for your service blah 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 yeah. so posting something like that where we can share in something and celebrate something other than that i think that we would have to pull off uh the social media in order to get back to those days because that's pandora's box because now it's it's mutating into the others once something gets sort of censored and comes to an equal footing nothing mutates off and it it pulls us apart, you know. Um, there is a possibility if we are able to stay off the mediums, which, uh, you know, the social review, you know, that that follow just our algorithms. You know, I got into it with my father-in-law over political discussions, and I decided that, nah, this isn't working. Yeah, it'll be better for us to get along if we just leave that over here and leave the creative stuff that we like or our discussions about other subjects where we, we sort of more or less agree because we're never going to get anywhere. We're, we're pretty stuck in, in our haunches, but I would say there's a possibility, you know, I would say you have to say that we're parents, we have kids. So, but um, the level of complicity for me has been very surprising. You know, I talk about my brother's like, oh, you know, democracy will survive. Democracy, will it? Will it? <laughs> wow, okay. Um, it's like getting, it, that line gets, keep putting, you really, you're really not going to say anything? Oh, okay. So, you know, Steve Burns comedian. I'll have my little discussions back and forth with him. I think if you have more whiskey nights, I think if you, you know, what part of the thing is outside of Zoom is that COVID and the pandemic has accelerated that because we're not getting together in public houses, we're, we're shouting online at each other. And so I think that if, if once that medium where uh, getting beyond the medium of just reacting on computers and, and screens, that might enhance some sort of getting back to normal and conversing yeah. and talking. Because yeah, my neighbors are different than me. You know, I tell my kids, uh, well, Sometimes in their house, they're not going to wear a mask, but you wear a mask and try to stay outdoors when you're playing with them. Yeah. So that's the way we'll solve that. Or she'll come home and say, they believe so-and-so. And I go, well, my, my wife and I want to, my wife's going, no, we'll just say, well, we don't believe that, but you can go ahead and play. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't pull the strings on every single puppet in the world, you know. Um, but it, it, it's tough. Social media makes it very hard, but hopefully there's a possibility we can get back to conversing and meeting together in public. Now you're on a, but um, sorry, had a stroke there. You're on a much bigger platform as far as you, you got so many more eyes pointing at you. And mm -hmm. like I said, I, I told you before, I work in the restaurant field, and unless I get on Yelp, I really don't hear anything negative. Like there's always mm -hmm. one or two guests that'll come back and say this shit sucked. And then when you ask them what you like about it, just everything. Nobody gives you any kind of constructive criticism, and that's essentially what social media is. Um, mm -hmm. But what I like, <clears throat> excuse me. What I wanted to ask you is with you doing what you do, because you're out there for millions of people to see, you're super vulnerable in everything you do because 
what you do is you're putting your heart and your soul into your work. Same thing mm -hmm. I do when I go to cook. I put everything I possibly can into a dish that I'm making because I want everybody, not only do I want to take all of their money, um, but I want to take all of their money on a consistent basis. I want them to come back and enjoy what they eat, come back and enjoy mm -hmm. what they see and taste and smell and all these different things. And you got to be the same way. You, I, I want them to continue watching me. But like I said, with the exception of one or two people mm -hmm. that physically come up to the pass, you know, where we put all the food up, um, it doesn't happen very often. Like I said, you've really got to search out the negative in my industry. Um, mm -hmm. But with you guys, it's, it's just one click, a couple types, you know, 140 characters, and essentially somebody's shitting on everything you've really done. Oh, um, yeah. What, what goes through your mind when you're sitting there? You've done something, like I said, let's just take Rocco for an instance. You've done Rocco, and then somebody just starts shitting on that. I mean, what does that do to you? As, not only as a person, but like, fuck, man, do, do you ever sit there and think, Am I doing this right? Is this guy right? Or do you just post and ghost type of thing where you post something, throw it up there and you just don't even listen? In terms of them liking something animated or not or something that I've done creatively, I never question whether I'm right or not. I just do what I do and people can mm -hmm. like it or not. And I think being a stand-up in the past has given me experience to go, oh yeah, not everybody's gonna like you. That one bachelorette party was not paying attention to you or that one guy <laughs> didn't like you had his arms folded the whole show. So I got most of the room, I'm good. Politically, it, it'll, it'll happen more. Um, but I tend not to read some of the comments. Some I get bothered by. Um, but if somebody doesn't like Rocco, like for example, Camp Coral, you know, where it's the prequel to SpongeBob. And yeah. I listen to Vincent, I listen to Tom and Marco, Mark, Marco, what's Mark's name? I'm forgetting Mark's last name. I want to say Marco O'Hara, but I don't believe that's right. Mark and Vincent and Doug Lawrence. And like, how dare you, Steve Hillenberg would, would have hated this. And like, wait, you don't know Steve Hillenberg. Tom and Vincent and Doug knew Stephen Hillenberg. Yeah. You're, you're shitting on his grave and no, 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 they're not. Steve was fine with it. Believe me, we knew, we knew Steve, mm -hmm. but they're rabid and they're, yeah. I'm sorry, they're rabid. They're going to have their opinions about it. And so you can't do anything about that. Yeah, somebody may not, we don't like Rocco, the static cling because of what happened in the second half where this character turned out to be this character. We don't like that. Well, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't make you like something. Yeah. So I'm pretty good about not reading any of those comments. Yeah. Sometimes I'll post on Twitter and I'll check out something and then it, it never ends well. You, you'll just go down a wormhole of fighting each other. So I've learned to just, I'll post something, have an opinion about it and just let it go. That's the because, best way to do it. You know, see how many likes you get and see how many disagreements and then, then you just let it go. And then, then it's just out there. And sometimes you're like, oh, I shouldn't have tweeted it or I shouldn't have said that because I was reacting instead of thinking and responding. Twitter is not a response. Twitter is a reaction. Like, well, yeah. Instead of, oh, let me parcel this out. Let me parcel this out here and see what I can come up with. Um, but yeah, it, it's very rare that I will be offended that someone doesn't like something that I've done creatively because it's just not for them. That, you know, you know, it's like being at a con and I could see somebody having a, a super long line next to me uh, for an anime character that I have no idea what it is. And I'm, my line's really short. It's like, they, they don't know what I do. And then some people, there's 10 or 15 people that really do. And then your, your wounds are, are, are healed again, you know? So um, it's all relative. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I really, I really enjoy your way of really looking at stuff. I mean, you said you were doing uh, therapy earlier. Is that something you've just gotten as you've gotten older? Or was that something that you actually had from your therapist that was working through some shit and just different perspective? I did it in 94 
you know, uh, coming out of relationships and stuff like that. I said, oh, I need some help. And then I just stuck with it. And then about 10 years ago, I started to go analytical, which is three days a week, which works for me. Yeah. That's the other thing I have to learn. And I, you know, I, I really dig it. It's like, for me, I, I need, it's almost like having a personal trainer. Yeah. That's how I, because there's always a stigma, like what's wrong with me? Why do I keep going? It's like, well, if I had a personal trainer, I wanted to be the fittest I could be. I would stick with that trainer for my whole life. Like yeah. I'm going three days a week. What are we doing here? I hate this. I, it sucks. I don't want to do it. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to push you. And so from that perspective, I've stuck with it and I've learned a lot about myself and it, it doesn't take out all your chips. You know, if you want to talk about super beta six or whatever, you're always going to have for me, like a rage. Oh, I'm freaking computer. Goddamn. Yeah. That stuff is harder to uh, just make disappear. That's there. That's my chip, but I can look at it and go, okay, don't beat myself up about it. Why do you think that happened? What do you think that was about? And hopefully the frequency of those events is less. Yeah. Um, it does help me and it helps with Twitter. Like, do you really need to respond to that? Do you need, really need to post that? Uh, you know what? I don't. Okay, good. I thought about it. I actually took the time to think about it. Yeah, but it, we're going to slip up. We're going to have rage. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to get pissed off. We're going to, you, you can't, we're not perfect. And, uh, but I, I have found that in this business, a lot of people aren't adults. Yeah. They really are used to getting what they want. And when they don't, the world's unfair. And I had a lot of that going. A lot of my happiness was based on extrinsic rewards. I, I need this series. I'm always going to have envy. I wish I had that job. Why can't I do that show? That's always going to be there. But then find out what that's about and then move on and go, I can have things simultaneously. I can have envy that this person got that job and I didn't. But now what can I do? I can do my own stuff or another job will come up or they just didn't like what I did. Yeah. That's the hardest one to accept. They didn't like what I did. God, you know, you, we always want to be a part of a club. We're always trying to fit in. So we're, we're tribalistic, man. We, that's why yeah. pol politics, uh, and I won't go too deep because I guess I'm just super ignorant when it comes to this topic. And if I don't know something, I just generally stay out of it because it's just like, what can I do to add anything valuable to this conversation? It's really uh -huh. nothing when it comes to that. However, you know, it, it's, it's like sports too. You know, you're, you're, you're Orlando magic fan, right? So I, I I'm, I bleed royal blue essentially when it comes to the NBA. I, this is my team. I will die with this team. When I was like five or six years old, I saw Shaq bring down a rim in yep. New Jersey. And I was like, holy shit, this is, I don't even know how he's a human. I'm, there's no way I'm a person and he's a person. It's seven <laughs> foot one, 285 pounds, just straight raw muscle, just broke their gym. And they had to yeah. stop. And I was like, I'm hooked on this. So I can, I understand the tribalistic views of, you know, I got to pick a side. I can't intermingle with these guys, even though these guys are saying some reasonable shit. These guys are wearing the tie I wear. These guys are wearing the jersey I wear. You know, so it's it's very very. When you boil it down, it's just like man, just ah, fuck it, man. Just let's all get along. Um, but you know, switching it back to a happier time, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. So so you know, when I started watching Rocco, this was the first cartoon I was not allowed to watch. Um, mm -hmm. I was very very young. Um, and then watching it now, I was like, man, my mom might have been right because there was some shit that just went. Shoo! right over my head. And I'm like, I don't even yeah. understand this stuff. Um, but it, my mom didn't want me to watch this episode. Cause it, I can't remember what episode it was, but it was with the big heads and he was, he was in his office and uh, the big heads boss, they were sitting there digging in their nose and then eating their boogers. Right. Yeah. And my mom walks in. She's like, what the fuck are you watching? And I was like, I don't know. This thing's called Rocco. It's pretty cool. And she was like, well, they're eating snot. This is not a cartoon you're going to be watching. So you got to turn this shit off. So I had to actually watch you guys. I had to watch Rocco when my mom was at work or if it would play super, super late at Nick and night. Um, and, and I would just sit there and try to 
you know, hide under the covers, watch it, make sure mom's not around, make sure my sister, because my sister, Shelly, asshole, ratted me out, really. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, son of a bitch, right? <laughs> but uh, she yeah. ratted me out and told me I couldn't watch Rocco. However, I got around it to watching Rocco. And I, like I said, I really, really love this show. It's, like I said, I've got a list of everything you've really done from the Taco Bell dog to... Have you ever... I get asked, Mr. Crocker, right? Is there a character that you've ever played that you have not just felt like you were going to have an aneurysm like Mr. Crocker was? I mean, I can imagine he's just up there with his zany and just all over the place. No, Crocker's the most intense. I remember all Crocker scripts with him and his mom. Leave me alone. Oh, Denzel, why do you treat my leave me alone, you bet? I'd be exhausted. Uh, there might have been some video games or two where I did some screaming, but... No, Crocker was the most intense, most, because I'd always play it at 11, because Bru- yeah. I mean, that's where Butch liked it after a while. <laughs> you know, that, that, I don't think there was one that gets close to that, really. Was um, a lot sometimes of with Book of Life or El Tigre, Manny Rivera, what have you done, Manny? That would come close with Jorge Gutierrez, who's brilliant. Um, but Crocker is the most intense, craziest, hard vocally when it's a full Crocker script, it hurts. I can only imagine, cause just sitting there watching, I was, I'm sitting there thinking like, this dude's probably drenched in sweat. His face is red. He's got veins popping on his neck, his head. He had to have come close to just fucking blacking out. I mean, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable what you guys can do as far as range goes with bringing it up from the diaphragm and just throwing it out there. And then you're sitting here throwing in different dialects, different accents, just different yeah. ways and patterns and cadences of how they talk. And I'm glad you brought up Book of Life because unpopular opinion, Book of Life was better than Coco. Coco stole the Book of Life. And that that movie is the the entire movie. And, and, and it mainly happens when I've got a couple of joints under my belt. That movie gets me more emotional as far as story, how it's told. Everybody in there has a purpose. There's no throwaway characters. Everything yeah. has a purpose. Um, yeah. And that I saw that movie on TBS one time. Me and my kid were sitting home. He was sick. I was sick a few years back. And we're just sitting there watching this. And I'm like, holy shit, how have I not seen this movie? And yeah. then... Coco comes out a few years later and then for some reason completely takes the the rug out from underneath you guys. It was a beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, but which of all those characters that you've mentioned so far, I mean, which are the easiest ones to slip into for you? I think because there was a woman named Raquel who used to live next door to us. <laughs> Dana, Shelly, come here. Dana, Shelly, it's time to come home. That one was easy for me because I grew up with it. Yeah. So to do grandpappy, the pig was just nothing. You know, George, George just goes, can you do the pig? And I'm like, I, I'm making, I go, but that was like, no, I want it different. Just go beep, 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 beep. Uh, and then you pick yourself a feisty one. But um, uh, General Posada was pretty easy to slip into because I knew who he was. I knew based on grandpappy in El Tigre, that was pretty similar. Maria, what have you done, boy? What have you done? <laughs> I, I just, that's what I grew up here, hearing Spanish and that dialect and being comfortable in that and really knowing who he was and what Jorge wanted. And Jorge's a great director because he just lets you go and he's like, yes, that's it. Oh my God, do it one more time and just give me a little bit. He's so positive. Um, so yeah, I think it was uh, doing uh, General Posada in that movie. And then, um, yeah, I happened to watch Coco at the Grand Theater in Oakland with my daughter, Austin, sitting on my lap and I bawled my head off. I loved them both. I think maybe the origins of the ideas might have originated at the same time. Obviously, Book of Life came out first. 
I love Diego Luna's singing. I love you so much. Yeah. Da, 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 da. I don't think there's anything as beautiful in uh, Book of Life as that one. Mm-hmm. Um, what is going on? Oh, okay. That's my neighbor. Sorry. Um, but um, I have so many things culminating right now this evening because Christmas is coming. Um, yeah. So I loved, um, I loved Jorge's message in Book of Life, you know, um, seeing and, and visiting your relatives as is custom with Dia de los Muertos and the love story and Joaquin and the wagering. Um, I love both of them, but Book of Life, yeah, was underrated. It's it's the uh, it's it's the B version of a so it's a it's a it's a black woman singing in a honky tonk when people are watching American Idol. You're like, what? You gotta check out this lady singing. You know, it's not quite as revered. And voiceover actors, for, for that matter, are too. I always called us really amazing studio musicians that never really get the credit that we all deserve. You know, whatever pitch you want, whatever age, whatever dialect call one of us, we'll, we'll, we'll service your problem. We'll, we'll handle it for you. We deliver, man, we're, we're really amazing. I, I sit around and watch the Fairly Odd Parents, Darren Norris, Suzanne Blakesley, um, Tara Strong, Kari Walgren when she came in, Jeff Bennett. I would sit back and just watch them work and go, these guys are jazz musicians, man, they're amazing. It, I'm, I'm one of them, it's pretty, pretty special. It's unbelievable. Like I said, what you guys can do with range, and I've had more of you voice actors over uh, on the show than any other person or any other type of in, in your industry and you guys have all been just super fantastic people you guys are just there you talk you know you want to tell stories I don't know what it is about you know your counterparts that only are in the front you know are in, in the picture or director they're in the front of the camera um, I don't know what it is about them but they seem to be a little bit more guarded I don't want to say a little bit more vain because everybody has some narcissistic tendencies um, but you guys, like I said, seem to be a lot more laid back, a lot more relaxed, a lot more open. And then, like I said, most of the time, you guys are fucking fun. Um, yeah. Uh, but what you said is, is just 100%. Like, you guys sing, you guys dance, and you guys take, and I've said this 100 times on this podcast, you guys take two-dimensional characters, and you make yeah. them three-dimensional, right? Yeah. You guys are the reason that these things pop off the screen. It's not because some animator, they do a fantastic job. These guys that are cartooning and, and, and drawing and, and coloring and all this yeah. other stuff, they're making magic as well. But you guys are really taking something, like I said, something flat, right? And you guys uh-huh. make it come off the screen. You make it pop. You make it worth watching, man. Um, and, thank you. And, no, no, thank you, man. I, I, I mean, I can't say this enough. This year, like I said, we talked earlier, this year has sucked. You know, there's been good things and there's been bad things. You know, mm-hmm. but but one thing that really and, and, and you said you were big into sports. So one thing that really just got this podcast off the moment was Kobe died earlier this year. Yeah, um, somebody that driving back from Tucson. Yeah, it, it, that was that was the last game. I actually not last game. I'm sorry, but the night he died was mine and my son's last Magic game we went to um, mm. before everything started shutting down a couple months later. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it kind of birthed this idea is like, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I never got to say thank you for Kobe, even though he beat us in 2009 finals and ro- I want to say robbed my team of getting an NBA What's champion. What's his name? Missed the layup. The guard. Oh, uh, fucking probably uh, Jameer Nelson. Um, no, it wasn't Jameer Nelson. It was pre-Nelson. Oh, I forgot his name, but he had an easy layup and he missed it. I remember that. 
I just, I just remember, you know, yeah. not having a, not having a good time. And I knew the significance of him in the sport. You know, he was, I don't want to say the second coming of Michael Jordan, but he was, every generation has a Michael Jordan-esque character. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got Michael, and before that you had Larry and Magic, and then you've got the era of Kobe, and now you've got the era of LeBron. And who's going to take after LeBron? Who knows? I hope it's Zion because I'm a real big Zion fan. Yeah. Uh, but but um, I've lost my train of thought here. But nonetheless, you know, when, when, I, when I set out to do this and he died, I really not wanted to give you guys your roses say thank you for what you've done man because like i said i took you guys everywhere i went with me i didn't know you guys personally i didn't know anything about you other than you guys made voices you made stuff come out of you right and you made me smile you made me laugh you made me cry you made me hate a character like god damn it i hope denzel doesn't get these fucking fairly odd parents timmy is fucked right so i always always had some kind of investment in the characters you made man and you guys did that man so thank you for that um, You're welcome. And, uh, you know, as we wind down here, because I don't want to keep you too long, like you said, you get a lot of shit to do. Um, it's been a long week for me on my end. I can't imagine the week you're having because you're doing all of this shit all over, doing all this extra yeah. shit. Um, but as we start to wind down, man, out of all these characters, I'll name just a couple of them off to you. And, okay. and these are the ones that really stuck out the most. But just Rocco, right? You had Rocco, mm-hmm. you had James Garcia, you had Denzel, Crocker, sorry, guys. Um, you had the Taco Bell dog. Then you had Laszlo from Kent Laszlo, and then you yeah. had Mr. Weed. You did Bane, and you did Winslow from Cat Dog. Man, you've been all over the spectrum, and that was the wrong word. You've been all over the area because spectrum wasn't the right word. So you've been here, there, and everywhere, man. Yeah. When you think about all of the stuff that you've done, right? What are some of the emotions that just get brought up, or what are some of the thoughts that you have when you sit back and you think about the career you've had, the lives you've touched, the voices you've done, the voices that have been in your head and outside of your head that have come out of your mm-hmm. mouth? And what really comes to mind when you sit here and think about what you've done? Yeah, I don't know if uh, the word pride is an emotion, but I'm proud um, and I revere it. Uh, pretty lucky, pretty special. A kid that was a jock that grew up in a blue collar neighborhood that had a paper route that was on the swim team that played hide and seek that really just watched TV on UHF um, with not much drama experience, that played soccer and football and ran track. Pretty lucky to swim with dolphins, I would say. So I'm proud to look back and say, oh yeah, I did learn my craft. I was really green when I started Rock. I just, um, and by the way, people that are listening to your podcast and watching, you can go on my Instagram. I started something called How I Came Up With The Voice. Mm-hmm. I've already done Rocco. We've already got another one in the can. I won't say what it is until we air it, but I'm gonna try to do one a week with everything, everything that fans think of and wanna know how I came up with a voice. They're little three minute segments. I just sit in front of my voiceover booth and try to remember how I came up with a voice. But, you know, one of my proudest things I I did is I had no idea I could do Billy Crystal. And this guy, my youngest. Hi, Austin, I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) Put a top on, scandalous. No, she's ducking out. Um, pretty proud of these guys, these little ladies. Um, you should be. Yeah, I learned how to do Mike Wazowski, and I did it. If you go to the Monster Scare floor ride or the Laugh floor ride at Disney World, that's me. And I, I went recently. I went two years ago, and I went, yeah, that's not bad for 2001, Belly Crystal. I was in Kingdom Hearts 3 as Mike Wazowski. I've done a bunch of merchandise. So teaching myself to do that voice. You know, Raj, you look great today. Will you stop it, Sully? Um, that was really thing that I took a lot of pride in going, yeah, I worked on it and I got it. Um, being able to do dialects, but Rocco is my first. I always revere it. I love how special Spyro is to people. That was one that I was just trying to really work out a voice, a nasty Nork. But 
that I think, yeah, the one motion you take away from it is you're proud. You're proud that it affects people so much. And like I say, the reacting how I did to D Baker and Fred Tatasher, and uh, I do get it. And so, and the fact that you took these things with you, uh, doing what you do for us, it's pretty amazing that we have that kind of, so pride is the one, and it's something we should be proud of as voiceover yeah. actors, that we really are able to touch a lot of people through this medium. And um, I really do think the animators and the directors and for sometimes taking what we do, speeding it up. And when we're doing ADR, the engineers will help speed it up. Or when we maybe can't really quite get a voice right, they'll draw it differently to add that tension. I do agree that we add a lot, but it's a dance. It's, it's a culmination. It really involves everybody on board. Um, I'm working on the Casa Grandes and I got to meet the painting department who are working out of Toronto when I did the uh, Toronto Fan Expo. And so getting to meet these people in another country that goes, I work on your show right here in our shop in Toronto. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. We love, I play Carlos Casagrande. And Rick Sergio, Rick, here we go. And uh, my favorite character, Vito Filipponio. Hey, if you're not going to finish those donuts, uh, I'm right here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I take pride in it, it being, being uh, something that people revere and giving people joy. You know, it, it's a pretty cool thing to be that because... That happened to me. I can remember doing a table read because I know Jody Hamilton through the Stephanie Miller show. Her mom is Karen Burnett, and I'm at a table read maybe one year ago, a little over a year ago, and I'm sitting across from Carol Burnett. She goes, I'm Carol. I went, oh my God, go Burnett. For me, Carol Burnett. Oh my God, she's amazing. So, um, yeah, I think what we take away, I take away, I'll say it a fifth time, is, is pride. And it, it makes me feel good that people like have been affected by what we've done. It's a pretty cool feeling. I, I can only imagine, right? And, and, and like I said, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time for me today. But one of the last things I really wanted to do was mm -hmm. see what you were doing now. Where can we push yeah. traffic towards? What are you working on that you're really, really proud? I know you said Reno 911 earlier. Um, yes. You were working towards that. But what, what can you tell us now that you're working on that you're allowed to talk about? Well, Reno was done. We did it in a bubble. Uh, the footage is looking for a home. Quibi shut down, as everybody knows. So they're re-editing it into longer formats and hopefully will be, be available on a Viacom property like Comedy Central, maybe CBS yep. Access, HBO Max. I think it's old, airing the old ones. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for it to find a home. We're pretty sure it will. I'm working on the Casa Grandes with a great cast, uh, Sumali Montano, uh, Ruben Garfia, Roxana Ortega, Alex Gazares, Leah Gold, and of course, Bella Alvarez. That's our core people. They're fantastic. We have so many great people on that show. The Casa Grande is currently on Nickelodeon. I'm working on Victor and Valentino. I got to come in and play Miguelito. Um, he, uh, he's a fun character. Um, so Victor and Valentino. I'm working on a really cool thing that's coming out. It's a Filipino project. I don't know that I could say the name, but it's based on a Filipino graphic novel and it's going to come out. Maya and the Three coming out next year, 2021 on Netflix with Jorge Gutierrez, play a couple of different characters on that. Um, and then my movie will get the official announcement will drop as soon as we get the official word, but we're looking at March, 2021, the release uh, domestically and internationally of Witness Infection, a movie I wrote with Jill Michelle Melian and financed and Aaron Hayes, Joe Reitman, Gary Anthony Williams, Brett Ernst, myself, Jill, Vince Don Vito, um, Aaron Hayes, Tara Strong, Maurice LaMarche, Zombies Meets uh, Mobsters. And it's really, it's actually a really good story. You can go to witnessinfection.com and check that out. Um, uh, Camp Coral, which is the prequel 
uh, to SpongeBob is coming on. I'm working on that. Um, and a couple other uh, Nick shows. I've guested on American Dad. I got a nice big role coming up on that show. Um, uh, Family Guy, a few more episodes of that. And just writing. And maybe I'll get back into doing some stand-up when we get back out there again. Um, and then just playing with these kids and uh, having my whiskey nights every three weeks or so with my neighbors. <laughs> you know? And then what was... I've seen it on your shirt and you, 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 we talked about it earlier, but where are the, the uh, whiskey guys located? Where can they go and find them if they want to do and drink what you drink? Oh, well, we just drink around the neighborhood, but Peerless is a, a really good bourbon uh, made by Shane Taylor and his family out of Louisville, Kentucky. And that's a delicious bourbon. I am a Lafroy 10 guy. That's my go-to scotch. I love the peated stuff. But we've got Balvini, we've got Japanese, the Yamasaki, the, we've got uh, the Toki, we've got... Balvenie, we've got Glenmorangie, Glen we've got High West, we've got it all. We've got every bourbon and whiskey you can think of. We, we try, we sip, we're amateurs, we enjoy, and we do it outdoors, we're socially distanced, and we just like to sip, eat, talk, dad stuff, world stuff, so that uh, you can go. I, one of these days I'll have a show, and another guy I drink with is an ex-Navy person, uh, we, or we talk about scotches and bourbons, is Jamie Kaler. Uh, he's another guy to check out on uh, the Dadlands. Jamie does a lot of great stuff, and occasionally we'll talk bourbons and whiskeys. But that's where people can go. Just just check out uh, check out whiskeys uh, online. And if you like one and you like to sip with friends, go. You know what? I'm going to buy this one. Try it out. And that's the way we did. We're rank amateurs. So, and actually, I like Conor McGregor and the Proper Twelve. It's a cheap whiskey, but it's not that bad. The Proper Twelve is not that bad. I it's really not fantastic. I don't want to get punched in the face by, at the bar, but it's not. It's not bad for the price. Just watch out for his left hand, man, because he's got That's a right. for a left hand. Jose Aldo. Oh, Josie, precision beats power every time. I watch that who, shit all the time. Who was at that fight with my wife and my friend Tom McLean? Who went to Vegas and put $600 on Conor McGregor to win in three, three or less rounds? Who was, who who was, was pounced on by drunk Irish people the moment it happened? Who was? Yes. <laughs> one of the best sporting nights of my life. I was like... Did you see that knockout? And I'm going to go take my ticket and cash in. Woohoo! Dad, Connor, McGregor, all these twisted faces in my face. It was amazing. Dude, I, I, I mean, you were there, so you saw the fucking pandemonium. They Irish ran that city when he knocked him out. When I'm sitting oh, it was watching, it was like I was still in the Navy at that point, and we were all standing up because it was just a barn burner for a card. And then everybody's like, "What? Well, because you can't give people money in the Navy because gambling is illegal. Yeah. So what you do is you take off your hat, you throw it in the middle, and then you just start wadding money up and you throw it into the hat. And then yeah. you've got a couple different hats depending on who's going for who. So everybody's throwing money. And I remember throwing just 20 in Connor. Everybody was saying, no, Josie's going to knock, drop him. He's Josie's going to leg chop him. He's going to take him down. He's going to just destroy him because of all the shit Connor was talking, right? Yeah. It was just going to happen. You saw on Josie's face, he's just sitting there and he's swinging his arms back and forth. And you've got Connor coming out. He's fucking throwing kisses. He's walking like Vince McMahon from the WWE. Oh, yeah. He just knew. And he's just bouncing back and forth. And that 13, 14 seconds, right? He yeah. comes and just clips him and he goes down. And I'm like, holy shit. Everybody's standing up. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Now I can only imagine how electrified that crowd was. Tisha Torres was on that card that night too. She had a good fight. My friend's a big Tisha Torres fan and said, hey, from where we were. Um, but yeah, it was so electrifying. I was like a little disappointed because I wanted more drama. 
But yeah, he timed it perfectly. They both traded left hooks and he reared back and just caught him square. It was it was amazing. And yeah, that place, we were afraid to walk home. <laughs> I almost wanted to say, we're Conor McGregor fans. Uh, <laughs> the guy from Iceland uh, was on that card too, a really good fighter. But yeah, Magic Knight, Magic Knight. Because I went to see uh, the second, uh, it was only two. Um, Nate Diaz fights? No, 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 no. Uh, no, uh, John Bones Jones versus our, our oh, buddy that's uh, heavyweight champ. Or was oh, heavyweight. DC? Pardon me? Daniel yeah, Corm- D- Daniel Cormier. I saw that one in Anaheim, and that one was more violent and gross and not fun and boring. Um, Tyrone Woodley actually outpointed Maia on that card. Yeah. It was a smart fight, but no, the, the one in Vegas was magical. The Irish were just, there's a, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. That fight was amazing. So special night. Yeah, I can only imagine, man. And last thing, man, where can people find you at if they want to talk to you? Um, if they want to talk to me uh, through Instagram uh, at Carlos Ellis Rocky, Twitter is the same handle at Carlos Ellis Rocky, occasionally a TikTok or two. Um, we try to update our website when I can, carlosellasrocky.com. But I always respond on, mostly for voiceover fans on Instagram. That's where all my stuff is. And again, you can check out my little uh, concept piece called How I Came Up With The Voice. It's featuring Rocco right now. Um, and another one was already in the can. And then I'll be doing, trying to do about one a week. So whatever voice you like that, that might be a little submarine voice that nobody knows about, I'll try to go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you how I came up with that one. So that's where you can check me out. Well, that's been fantastic, man. That's such a smart idea. And I'm looking forward to seeing just more of what you did, man. I really like taking a look behind what you guys did, what you guys are doing, and what you guys really enjoy doing, man. And if anything, this podcast should show you, man, always meet your heroes, man. He's been Carlos. I've been Julian. This has been What's My Head podcast. And fuck, man, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you for your service. No problem, buddy. Thank you. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.